0: If that is the case, we are doing our job. Accordingly, listener discretion is advised. Outlaw Radio is not for everybody, but neither is Kim Chi. The following Outlaw Radio audio presentation is parody. Please be a grown-up and accept the following program as it is intended. Some elements of Outlaw Radio may not be suitable for uh, anyone. There may be occasional content that offends you or that you find irrelevant. If that is the case, we are doing our job. Accordingly, listener discretion is advised. Outlaw Radio is not for everybody, but neither is Kim Chi.
1: Yes, of course.
0: Bur Baron. I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Live from the gleaming, streamlined, state-of-the-art studios
1: <laughs>
0: of Outlaw Radio, nestled in a secret bunker somewhere in the Los Angeles area. The following program is produced with a semi lackadaisical attitude by the, by the amazing Magic Mad Al on the Outlaw Radio Network. Oh true crime uncensored that is the official name of the radio program i am the legendary burl bear howard lapidas let me ask you something why why did you go after our executive producer because he moves slowly and i'm old and i can catch him (laughs) that's uh, mark cg boyer is our brilliant well prepared fact checker. I promise I praise him today. Uh, praise the hell. Thank for the money. Uh, praise
2: the know. Lord. Praise Let the Lord. Let me
0: know what soccer you're What, is what you are you crazy? all talking at once and Will Smith is a bunch of screaming in the background? Yeah, well, you start off with that again? <laughs> Men in Black. Oh, I'm glad you did. Okay, I got a message from uh, Ian Dickerson in England today. Did you? Uh, Ian Dickerson said, I see your guest is uh, Craig. What's his name? Right. We all are guests. Craig McGuire. Last week it was Craig uh, Drummond. This week it's it's Craig McGuire. And next week it'll be Craig Ferguson. That's right. uh, Uh, Who played uh, Peter Gunn? (laughs) Peter Gunn. Peter Gunn. Anybody that? Craig who? Craig Stevens. He won't be on the show. But... uh, he says, A guy, I love I loved Craig McGuire's book. He says, especially the story about the Ukrainian gynecologist you
2: have been... and the Stradivarius. <laughs> You've been talking about this since last Tuesday. <laughs> Craig McGuire, how are you, sir?
3: Hi, Bill Hi, Matt. How are you? Thanks
0: for having me on the show. Oh, you're welcome. And that's uh, Howard Lapita's manager of the star, the one star he has left on his... Uh, his roster, so the so one I decided to keep. <laughs> oh, I see. And, I'm, and, I, and he sublet an apartment uh, in his roster to me, <laughs> way at the bottom.
2: I actually did. Yeah, uh, you're, you're, it. there. you're there. I you're, 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 you're,
0: you're kind of peek up in the bottom yeah. of his roster. You just have to pay your bills. <laughs> that
1: would
0: be good. Uh, So okay, uh, Ian Dickerson in England uh, sent me a message about you. Said he loved your your book, Brooklyn's Most Wanted, especially brace yourself. The story about the Ukrainian gynecologist and the Stradivarius. It sounds like a burlesque joke. Should we, should we start with that? I want to start with it. Okay. I'm, okay, Greg, hey, so what's Craig? the story?
3: Sure. This is an interesting uh, account of the Greenpoint crew. Uh, and they were a, a, a gang in the 1980s uh, and 90s, predominantly Polish uh, from Brooklyn. Uh, they did a lot of uh, gun running, d- drug trafficking, but one of the uh, capers that really brought them to the forefront was they uh, stole uh, Stradivarius and they tried to uh, st- uh, sell it on the black market. It also happened that the, uh, uh, the leader of the crew... Uh, was uh, trained in Ukrainian. He was a Ukrainian uh, gynecologist, and this phrase uh, sort of bubbled up to all the head, uh, headline writers and was covered in all the accounts. So it's like one of those type of things that uh, the, uh, journalists really latch onto, and it helps the story uh, get legs. Uh, and gain <laughs> yeah, more indeed, notoriety.
0: a gynecologist wants those legs in the stirrups, usually.
3: <laughs> sure. So uh, really, that's the that's the extent to the, to the to the the story. But it was a great headline in the New York Daily News. Uh, the String Fellas, uh, cops bust Eurogang and drug and violin capers. Uh, and again, this was just another. Uh, well, it, it really worked well for my book because it gave them such notoriety.
0: Oh, well, I thought maybe the gynecologist was smuggling the Stradivarius.
4: No, no, no. And, and one of his patients.
0: Why, yeah. don't, why, why don't we yeah. give
2: some context to the book, bro? Oh no, we want to uh, surprise people. No, no, no. We want to know and understand what this book Brooklyn's is. Brooklyn's most wanted.
0: In other words, you have prepared <clears throat> through great stress and anxiety upon yourself and the entire world. Uh, so we say a list, kind of like you know, Rolling Stone has those the 100 greatest guitar players of all time, the 50 top rock songs. So thirty-three and a third best groupies, you know. We've seen those things that come out. I or, come in at ninety three on all of on the, the groupies? Yeah. yeah. Okay. List, yeah. He's done this for <clears throat> the gangsters of Brooklyn, many of whom you probably know personally, Howard. I know some of them. Yeah. I figured you would. Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> no, so what prompted you to undertake this project, Craig?
3: Uh, I have to tell you, this is probably something that I've had in mind for a very long time. It's actually the, uh, the Top 100 Criminals, Crooks, and Creeps from the County of the Kings, Brooklyn's Most Wanted. Uh, I w- was a big fan of this type of nonfiction, uh, going back to, you know, uh, The Gangs in New York by Herbert Asbury. Uh, a, a lot of books like that, similarly, Hunter Thompson's Hell's Angels, you know anything by T.J. English. Uh, really these sort of compendiums that pull in all these uh, uh, top criminals. Uh, I was also a journalist for years uh, for Curry Life Publications, so uh, I I walked the community beat for about five, six years. I wrote the Crime Blotter. Uh, You know, I covered a lot of different crime scenes, Uh, and I interviewed some of the uh, uh, corrupt politicians that were in this book.
0: What is that, just Uh, about every corrupt politician in New York? Yes, if you could believe that. (laughs) But
3: it was uh, a long time coming, and I, you know, had a lot of clippings and a lot of interest in this area. Even when, you know, in 1983, when Colin Ferguson uh, gunned down uh, commuters on the Long Island Railroad, uh, I was dispatched to his house to interview neighbors. Uh, And then also, you know, growing up in Brooklyn, uh, it's an interesting phenomenon. There's a lot of criminal element, uh, and everyone basically knows someone who knows someone who's connected. So it's sort of a a running theme. Uh, And I wanted to do more than just focus on uh, Italian-American gangsters, uh, because there's there's a much broader tapestry uh, out there, you know, really from... Uh, you know, the Russians in Coney Island to you know the aforementioned the, the Polish in Greenpoint, the Greeks, uh, and then you have Son of Sam, Son of Sal, and there's a lot more other uh criminals that maybe they 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 became really criminal uh masters or giants uh in other uh parts of the country of the world, but they got their starts or they were born in america such as al capone and billy the kid uh... so you know uh... elements like that make it into my book they're not as highly ranked and i pull it all together with a with the ranking methodology
0: was billy the kid born in brooklyn
3: yes he was sir yeah
2: i didn't know that tell me a little bit about billy the kid
3: uh... when he was born his his mother came over from ireland uh... A- anticipating to uh... moving with family but unfortunately they had uh, uh, perished through an epidemic uh, and she fell on really hard times and there are conflicting accounts of her origins but uh... several sources that that i cite uh... said she was she she was forced into prostitution and that's how uh, billy the kid was born uh... down in i believe Carroll gardens uh, and eventually, you know, she worked her way out of, uh, or she made her way out of Brooklyn, out west, and never to return.
0: Never to return. She's probably on the MTA in Boston. Uh very good, huh? Like not,
2: that? Not, 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 terrible. <laughs> not terrible. Not That's terrible. That's
0: how Howard rates my jokes from not terrible to dismal. Dismal. Yeah,
2: but that wasn't terrible. Is there a dismal in the list? Could you sing that song? Is the question? But yeah. I'm not going to ask you to do that today. No, I will, because I can't sing that well. No, no. no all the of all the um, of all the crime masters from Brooklyn give me give me the not number one on your list necessarily but number one in your heart
3: you know uh, I get I get that question a lot and just to, just for a word on on the ranking methodology you know Amazing. it was this is really a a strong subject of of debate with my friends and my family members and everyone who I talk about Uh, I I talk with on this book Uh, you know I took out 34 uh, different criteria and they're you know uh, types of crime uh, and then also they range to you know level of notoriety you know were you covered in local media were you covered in national media was a book uh, written on you, was a movie written on you, and then all the different, you know, types of crimes, and, you know, your position in the underworld. So I mix that all together, and I weight all the different criteria, and then I come up with, uh, and then I came up with this ranking, and really, I had several focus groups with my friends and family, and it was really fun to debate this. Uh, so, but really near and dear to my heart, as, as anyone who, you know, came from Brooklyn, uh, would have to be... Uh, Walter O'Malley. Now, when you think of Walter O'Malley, uh, you know you would not necessarily think of uh, think of him as a criminal, uh, even though he's he's utterly despised by anyone from a certain generation in Brooklyn. Uh, he wasn't he he, he wasn't a, he wasn't an outlaw. Uh, he wasn't a murderer. He wasn't a he wasn't a criminal. But what he did do is he killed baseball in Brooklyn when he moved the Dodgers uh, to Los Angeles. Ah,
2: so after Joe. all of this, Walter O'Malley is number one in your heart. <laughs> You've yeah. got to be kidding! You see, I'm a Dodger fan, and I'm damn damn well happy he did that. How's that? Yes. <laughs> want to start with me? Come on, let's
1: go. <laughs>
2: Why are you so happy? Because they're uh, the Dodgers. haven't been going to the ball game in two days. You know, I can I can, I can go whenever I want. They're right down the street. They're, That's
0: because you're not living in Brooklyn. They've
2: been here since <laughs> 1957. Uh, that's a long time ago. They were in Brooklyn for five minutes. Let's not get, let's not get carried away. <laughs> you, got, sure. you, you know, get another baseball team. Where did you rank him? He ranks him. He, he, he doesn't rank he, In his heart, he, he, Walter O'Malley killed baseball when this guy was four years old. Right, but I'm, I'm wondering
4: where he ranked him in his list. Did you rank him?
3: Uh, yes, I did. What uh... number? Uh, 96. So he's pretty high on the list, and he's not as despised. And at, at, outside of the confines of Brooklyn, not as notorious for...
2: But but you hate him. You hate
3: him. Yes, sir.
2: You hate him because he took it. So who do you root for now in New York?
3: Uh, Yankees. Yankees.
2: So you went from the Dodgers to the Yankees. Yeah. That's how pissed off you were. Well, he couldn't root for the Giants. No, no. But he went to the other side. Going to the Yankees is going to the other side.
3: And, and, in fact, there, there are a lot of people who tell you that, you know, it was Walter O'Malley who helped lure the baseball giants out of Brooklyn as well. Yeah.
2: Well, he did because he wanted another team on the West Coast needed
3: that. Oh, sure. Of, I of mean, course he did. You can't blame did. him, you know, business no. reasons. It's
2: a, it, look at the business he built. You want me to do the numbers for you? That, that's on the business side. Look on the fanship side. It's amazing. It's a good thing I'm not into baseball no, you're not into baseball. This even, isn't even about baseball. It's about culture. And and, and, and and Craig, Craig knows that. But how old were you when the Dodgers
3: left? Oh, I actually wasn't born yet. So what do you care? <laughs> <laughs> I was so in, in, ingrained. It was such a common theme. Uh, it just seemed that it was something that would be... Of local uh, importance. A, a, a it resonated with this. the locals.
2: I mean, the last thing I thought when I got into the station today was that I would be having a heated discussion about Walter <laughs> O'Malley being the number one criminal in your heart in Brooklyn. You have a hundred, I didn't even notice him on the list, to be honest with you, had I done That's that. That's
3: right. a lot of range here. You know, I wanted to, you know, be a little bit more thought-provoking than just, you know, march out the usual suspects. <clears throat> Uh, And really talk about, you know, notoriety and in Brooklyn, the despised, not just the criminal, the crooked, the corrupt. You know, but when it comes to that, I do have, you know, something that uh, obviously, Burl, you can uh, relate to. And congratulations. I see uh, Betrayal in Blue uh, has, you know, the most recent accolade named by a library uh, bulb. Uh, was named as a featured book. Really, uh, Mike Dowd from the Seven Five. You know, this book wouldn't, you know, be legitimate if I didn't include them in here.
0: That's absolutely So Kenny's in there.
3: Yes, sir.
2: Hey, congratulations, Ken.
0: <laughs> I bet he appreciates that. <laughs> if he's listening. I'm Anybody
2: sure. else on that list that I missed, like a Walter O'Malley, who <laughs> belongs on that list? Like I need a hole in the head. Are you insane? <laughs> now, now you've got me pissed off, Greg.
4: Hey, well, uh, that's I'm the whole a, point. I apologize. Mark, C.G.
0: <laughs> Boyer has a question for you. Uh,
4: <clears throat> I would like to ask you about uh, the pod father. That story uh, made me giggle.
0: Rabbi. Sure. You
4: remember that, that
3: was... Get, a- an interesting we- account of in, uh, in Brooklyn you have a uh, strong Orthodox community uh, and in the in, again I'm not an expert on, on this particular subject uh, but uh, in order to have uh, a, uh, a marriage sort of annulled or dissolved in, in that faith uh, you have to get what's called a get uh, and that has to be agreed upon by the husband and the wife really and if the husband doesn't sign off on it That's then right. the uh... then They're the wife is basically held hostage in the, in, in, to, to the failed marriage and there are financial implications and other types of uh, ramifications for 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 the wife so there was a rabbi uh... with a, with a, a group of henchmen who for the right <laughs> price would torture uh, uh, Jewish uh, husbands into signing a get, uh, and one, his preferred implement of torture was uh, was a cattle prod. Oh. So again, getting back to my, my earlier theme on notoriety, and you know there were certain things about you know this the, the about about criminal cases that, that let them bubble up to the top, and journalists will you know latch onto it, and that was it. He was called the Prod Father.
1: Uh, oh, because
3: afforded. of the cattle they, The, the, the yeah. case got even what, what was the standard, you know, uh, shakedown and extortion case uh, really got bumped from the blotter up to the front page, and it ran for uh, uh, several subsequent issues. Uh, and that was the prod father.
0: But this guy was Mendel uh, Epstein. So, yes. was Mr. Epstein prosecuted for his uh, uh, prod proclivities?
3: Yes he was they actually uh they had a sting operation. ah nobody uh, oh, no did and then they actually caught him in the act really uh, and then they were able to unravel a lot of other uh cases uh when really? once once they you know brought him once they arrested him brought everybody in
0: then they uh they knew what they had on their hands
2: yes all right back to the O'Malley
0: thing <laughs> Howard. I never should have brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. But We brought it up, and now Howard's going to obsess on it like a sixteen-year-old girl.
4: How long did it take you to come up with your thirty-four uh, indicators, and why thirty-four?
3: Uh, great question. You know, it it all comes down to uh, my whole my research methodology. Uh, before I even got into the rankings, you know, it, it didn't start as a hundred. You know, they're, they're, I was a big fan of a lot of these compendiums, you know, the Encyclopedia of Crime, as I mentioned before, uh, the Gangs of New York, uh, there's just some great material out there. So I pulled together much more than a hundred, uh, researched at different levels, put in all clips together, and then you just have to keep churning it, you know, through, write the descriptions, group-like criminals together, come up with the themes. And then you know, sit down. Now, how am I, you know, how am I going to rank these? How am I going to make this uh, an accessible concept for, uh, for my readers? Uh, so then I just, you know, obviously it's what, what it started, started to bubble up to the top. You know, what were some, what, what were the crimes? And and what's, uh, you know, is, you know, is uh, a captain in a crime family, uh, is that, you know, worse than a serial killer? Uh, and then, like I said, I had I had the luxury of great focus group of uh, groups. You know, a lot of a lot of friends and family who you know help me debate and come up with the waiting for these different. I mean, is uh, that really yeah, the, is the is Is, 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 the it, is part. that
2: really a scientific focus group? You know, uh, c- come on, you're, you're calling your next door neighbor and your cousin, your uncle. That's a focus group.
3: Certainly, it's definitely a focus group. I'm 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 not purporting to say that they, these are we experts by any means. any, any uh, <laughs> so We we did apply a scientific method, uh, and I, I, I have to tell you, two years in two years in the making, worked very hard at producing the best quality list that I could. Is it you know? Is it 100 foolproof? Of course not. You know, everyone's going to have their opinion. You know, I have a, a number of people who, you know, come up to you, why isn't, why isn't this person included? Why isn't that person included? Like who? Uh, off the top of my head, I would say recently I had a friend of mine in Bay Ridge, and I don't know why this came up. There was a Charles Vanny Higgins. Uh, I believe he was the last... Irish godfather or, you know, Brooklyn's last Irish mob boss, uh, and turn of, the century, turn of the last century. Uh, you know what? I, and when I looked at them, you know, I didn't want to be too heavily focused on, on any certain ethnicity. Uh, and I did have Wild Bill Lovett and Peg Leg Lonergan, and it just seemed to me that they were totally representative of that sort of Irish gang culture along the, uh, along the Brooklyn waterfront. Uh, what about
0: the, uh, the Armenians and the Serbians?
3: You know what? There were a number of groups in there that it was uh, uh, sort of a, 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 a round peg in a square hole. Armenians did not have as much of a power base in Brooklyn. They were more in Queens or the Bronx, if I remember. Mm, Same thing yep. with the Greeks. So f- I, I sort of felt like it, was, it would undermine my premise if these are really hardcore Bronx gangsters and maybe they had a small little you know outpost here in Coney Island to so to sort of force them into the rankings and then you know if you're a Bronx crime group and you're known as a Bronx crime group you know what's the what's the Brooklyn notoriety there
2: are yeah. most of these uh, most you know we uh, when we think of uh, uh, crime groups we kind of think of the Italians first um, and that's how, we, you know, we based a lot of us space, our knowledge, of, of, by watching The Godfather. Um, tell me a little bit about how the Polish group was constructed. Because uh, I had never heard that there was a Polish mob.
3: Yeah, this is, this is a great, uh, great topic. You know, this whole concept of mafia is often such a misnomer. Uh, it's because it's it's a great term to inst- give give folks instant recognition. When you hear that, you sort of get like the hierarchy of a criminal organization, where you have you know a godfather, a captain, soldiers, you know. Exactly. So it's more exactly. sort of a media invention for a lot of them. And you know the the, the Greenpoint crew is a great uh, is a great example. That's more of a flat hierarchy where they had. Uh, you know, one or two uh, sort of you know high-level uh, chiefs, and then a lot right. of Indians, uh, and then also you know they didn't have such a long run; they weren't highly organized. Uh, you know, and you're they, talking they about you're talking
2: you're talking about the Greeks, right?
3: No, the, the uh, Polish. The, the Polish. Okay. So you know, and they uh, also. Uh, but they had a distinction of being, the f- I believe, the first Eastern European uh, criminal organization to be prosecuted in Brooklyn. Uh, so, you know, again, that le- lends to some of the notoriety. But you had a lot of these organizations. The Greeks really did come up. I didn't, I didn't dive too deep into that organization. And they, when you talk about the Italians, the Greeks do come up a lot because they had sort of a symbiotic relationship, especially in the Bronx and Queens. Uh, but again, you know, they did most of their dirt outside the confines of the county of the Kings, so they didn't really. I had a hard time working them into into the book.
2: What was their dirt specialty?
3: I uh, I think it was a lot of uh, standard uh, criminal enterprises. You know, drug trafficking, prostitution, extortion. Uh, so the extortion used- is big, especially in ethnic communities, because you have a lot of uh, newly arrived immigrants. So right away you could shake them down, and they're not going to run to the authorities. So you see that common recurring theme. As you saw with the Black Hand, uh, which were the were the original Sicilian criminal organizations in in Lower Manhattan, and they migrated into Brooklyn, all along the waterfront. Uh, you had the same thing in you know uh, Chinese gangs, in uh, Greek gangs, especially when there's a, lo- a language barrier.
2: What's the most prevalent gang now in Brooklyn?
3: I uh, I'd have to defer to you know criminal experts now, uh, but there is there's a lot. If, if I were to hazard, based on some of the, some of the research that I did, and a lot of this is not uh, contemporary, but there's a lot of uh, uh, Russian organized crime is still pre- is still prevalent. Uh, there's a, there, there's still some Italian organized crime. Uh, And there's one thing, there's there's a lot less crime. There's a lot more white-collar crime. Uh, You're looking at some of these neighborhoods, you know, you look at the Brooklyn waterfront now as compared to, you know, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, it's totally different. I was fortunate enough to work with uh, retired detective Tommy Dates. Uh, He was, he put away hundreds of these guys. Uh, He really opened up, and he helped... He helped guide me, so I'm eternally grateful for him. He also worked on the, the infamous Mafia Cops case. Uh, that's in here, where you uh, you had, you know, two detectives, NYPD, who were basically uh, doing murders for, uh, for, for a Mafia family. And, you know, he crystallized it for me. He said, you know, nowadays, there's a lot of these folks. They're not here. You know, that whole corner culture where you had... Uh, you, you had the speakeasy before that. Then you had the cafe. Then you had the, the, whole, the drug spots. You know, in some areas, it's still there, but it's nowhere near as prevalent. You know, that's because of the hard work of, you know, federal and, and local law enforcement. That's also due to the technology, you know, the, uh, the, the law enforcement technology that they have. Uh, it's, just, it's just amazing what, what they've done. So kind of what you're saying. Tommy said that really stuck with me was you know, there was this big myth about how the italian mafia and these other criminal organizations how they protected the streets and that was a huge lie you know what they did was they victimized not only their old people you know they enslaved whole generations of people with the narcotics they put out on the street and because of tommy and some of these other folks you know they really made a difference so that's one of that's one of the big takeaways i took from working on this project
2: so you're saying to me that uh... There really isn't. Uh, the mafia is no nowhere near what it used to be, and uh, th- yes, I would.
1: I would definitely say that. I would definitely say. Is there still criminal? You know, there's a, there's a lot more
3: different types of crime nowadays. This, you know, cybercrime, insurance fraud. You know. And hey, talk, talk, talk about that. I mean, I mean th- that
2: that fascinates me. Uh, Are those single operators, or is there crime groups that do cybercrime, things like that?
3: Oh, there are definitely, uh, I would say both. But really, when you have that type of criminal organization powering it behind, you know, just credit card fraud, and thank you, you know, with the the advent of chip technology and EMV technology, you know, you don't have as much of the street-level credit card crime, but a lot of that crime is now migrated online. You know, and it's evolving rapidly, but you still have a lot, of the, uh, a lot of the same types of, you know, drug trafficking, prostitution. Is it the same the way it was years ago? It, it, it definitely, it, all you have to do is go walking through Sunset Park or go walking down the, the go walking down Red Hook now. You know, 20, 30 years ago, you couldn't do that at night.
4: Fascinating. Um, you have this is mark. Uh you have covered a large swath of individuals from John Wolzaho the Dog Day Afternoon fame, son yeah. of Sam, to a whole host of obscurities. Uh any of the ones that you came across that really surprised you?
3: Uh that's a great question. You know, the ones that really uh you know, you, I mean, you have, like, the hardcore criminal gangsters, you know, the, the gun-in-your-face, you know, type folks. But it's the white-collar criminals, you know? You know, like Philip Barry. And, you know, I grew up in Brooklyn. I grew up in Bensonhurst and Gravesend, you know, and lived in Bay Ridge for a while. And Philip Barry, they did, they, they did a great documentary on him. And he was, he was a little bit more obscure, but he was known as the Bernie Madoff of, of Bay Ridge. Uh, so now, unlike unlike Bernie Madoff, he didn't bilk folks out of $50 billion. You know, it was all, it was, I think, it, it was, you know, a couple hundred million, I think his scheme, you know, came up to.
4: That's a pleasant well, chunk of change.
3: His ability to get, you know, my neighbors and people who are, you know, rational, uh, intelligent people to take their life savings, and just because... He's a local guy. He sets up his shop. He didn't do advertising. You know, word of mouth. This guy is, you know, he's able to generate money for him. So he, I, I tell my cousin they go in. And these people lost everything. It's just I'm, it's just remarkable, you know, the gullibility of, of people. And I, I don't say that in a negative way, how we're so quick to trust. Uh, well, and that's a recurring theme. And how,
2: then, how, how would they do that? Explain how that works. How would they shake those people
3: down? Well, it would start, you know, he had a storefront in, in Bay Ridge. And, you know, everyone's looking to get a better return on their investment than you get from your from your savings account, right? You know, so everyone's, you know, we're constantly inundated with you have to save, you have to invest, you have to get ready for, entire, for retirement. You know, just from a storefront, you know, word of mouth, come in, give me a couple hundred dollars, and I'll be able to, you know uh, – and the interesting thing is, unlike some of, like, the, the, the earlier Ponzi schemes, you know, he was smarter and not uh, be offering outlandish returns. So, you know, it's, it's, it's easier to believe something the more believable it is. And then it just, when, when, I don't know if you feel the same way, but I know if I see a good thing and I, I feel a good thing, I'm really interested in sharing this with the people that I care about. So it's, you know, preying on human emotions and able to turn this into this epic disaster. I mean, you had these elderly people who took their life savings away. I mean wh- what happens to them? And then there's no there's no recourse. What was I mean, sure, his what was his, you know, his way to prison? What was his pitch? Uh, and he promises to pay them back.
2: His his pitch was I'll I'll give you more money than the bank. Exactly. And that was pretty much it.
3: That was it. He didn't he didn't even have to do heavy advertising. I mean, they had, I don't know if you recall, I remember in, in, in the 80s, uh, late 70s, early 80s, you know, I was a grade school kid, and I remember they had these, you know, these local pyramid schemes. You know, now we recognize them as pyramid schemes, but I remember, you know, my parents in, in their basement inviting all their friends over. You know, we got this great thing. You come in, a couple hundred dollars, you know, you get paid, and then the more people you bring in, and I, I'm like, I sit back now and I'm like, oh my God, that's awful.
2: You actually well, saw that, this. That's yeah, yeah, my yeah, biggest surprise. You saw this go on in your own house.
3: And I'm sure it happens today. But now, there are different, you know, multi-level level marketing schemes online. There's a lot more sophistication in there. So a lot of times it's not just like the Eastern Euro- European hackers. You know, it's a lot more less sinister type things that people get well, you know, pulled into. Well, that's
2: that's what concerns me. What if, if I'm online and I'm surfing the web? and I come across something, what would I come across that might interest me? 18-year-old twins.
3: Uh, You know, there's a whole host of things uh, that you really have to protect yourself online. Be careful what you click on. Don't give out your information. You know, use common sense. uh, Because a lot of times, you know, they'll be able to... if you click on... let's say you click on the wrong link, uh, and you download an executable file. Uh, there's the potential that they could seize control of your computer.
2: Ransomware. It's so, rampant. So, so exactly. I, so I see it, it, somebody sends me an email that says, "I can earn $500 in, in a day online," and I click on it. I'm in trouble,
3: right? Anything you have to click on to activate any legitimate, you know, provider, you know. Their marketing and their, you know, go-to-market business strategy already understands that that's a barrier to, to entry. So they're not going to force you to click on something, you know. I think, gonna uh, get, get,
0: get, we're going ta- to click on taking a 60-second break so that I can download some malware. And we'll be right back on True Crime Uncensored.
5: cigar anytime you want it, get the Outlaw Radio app. It's on Apple and Android free. Just go to your app store and search for Outlaw Radio, then look for the red highway sign with the bullet holes in it. Download and listen anytime, 24 hours a day. It's all free from the demons of decadence, Magic Matt Allen, and Outlaw Radio. OutlawRadioLive.com.
0: I'm the legendary Burl Bear, thrilled and ecstatic to hear that my latest masterpiece, written with uh, Frank Gerardo and Ken Jurel, has been recommended by the Brooklyn Library as something you should definitely get. Uh, the rabbi wants you to get it. <laughs> get it? Well, there's a great movie, by the way, called The Get, uh, which is a great film. I won't give away the surprise ending, but it's a wonderful motion picture on that very topic. Yes, no, the movie is not about my book. <laughs> no, it's the 7 5 is uh, the same story, except the 7 5 gives you the wrong impression about Ken Urell, but my book tells the shocking truth of the story you didn't see in the documentary, The 7 5. The Trail in Blue, available right now online. Just click on the executable file. <laughs> You'll get all the exciting information and how you two can make $8,000 a week as a front for a Dominican drug cartel.
5: Back to <laughs> True Crime Uncensored.
0: I've heard of it. With Burl Bear and Howard Lapidus. Don't forget what's-his-name
5: over there. Featuring Mark C.G. Boyer. Well, we're
2: here you now The 7-5 is still running on HBO, and it's, it's actually quite an interesting documentary. And it does kind of mirror your book, but your book it, it gets a little deeper into it. Right? Oh, much
0: much deeper. The 7-5 the uh, documentary gives you the false impression that Ken Rail ratted out his partner, Michael Dowd, which he didn't. Uh, so it's, uh, it's a little bit misleading in the documentary. But in the, the book, we tell the whole story. So people should get a hold of the book. Absolutely, positively. They should buy it, read it, and believe it. Not
2: necessarily read it.
0: No, but they should buy it. Yeah, that's go. the most important we're part. Talking, One of the great bookends of the 21st century, and now back to <laughs> now back to Brooklyn. Back to Brooklyn. I think yeah. I've been to Brooklyn, and I plan on being there again. What, what I, if I go to Brooklyn now, Craig? Because uh, we're talking to, to uh, Craig McGuire. I got the name right, didn't I? McGuinn uh, and McGuire were just getting higher in L.A. You know where that's at. Uh, oh, man. Didum <laughs> pump. Man. Man, oh, Uh If I go to Brooklyn now, do I have to watch out for criminal elements?
3: I would say so. Any, anytime you're in a, in, a, in a major urban metropolitan area, you should. Uh, it's much better than it used to be, but, you know, a little bit of common sense, especially late at night, it would go a long way for you.
2: In all seriousness, I was in Brooklyn about a year ago for a, a wedding. It was a Hasidic wedding. Mm, do, muscle tough. Do, do we fear the, the Hasids? I,
3: I do. Certainly
6: not, certainly not.
3: One, You know, I actually lived in Bensonhurst, uh, neighboring Borough Park. Mm-hmm. You know, just a uh, communal atmosphere, great neighbors, you know, a lot of integrity in that community, so definitely not.
2: Well, that's good to know. You said the right thing with yeah. three Jews sitting here <laughs> in a That's
0: correct. But if you oh, go oh, to really? the diamond district, it's a different <laughs> story.
4: Mm. <laughs> I, am, I do
0: have a TC phobia.
4: That's another
0: story. T C yeah. True Crimes? Oh, oh, the Passes.
4: Yeah. Oh, okay. And a sheet. <laughs>
0: well, my brother's a city church. He is? Yes, he is. he come by the house and go, Trafe, Trafe, Trafe? I got a new bumper sticker for him. For the he Orthodox. Said. Yeah, what? I have a
2: new bumper sticker for the Orthodox. Okay. Yeah. Eat kosher, live trafe. <laughs> I'm opening up a restaurant in Beverly Hills called Trafe. We're just serving lobster and shrimp. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me that's not a good idea. Come on now. Well, you gotta have baby back ribs right, too. Okay. There you go. That fits. Come on. Anyway, back to Brooklyn. Back to Brooklyn. All right. <clears throat> I've been to Brooklyn. You have uh, many a time, and I've never been. I've never. have been afraid. Uh, there's been nothing that. Yeah, you know, there's nothing on the street that uh, indicates fear. So how, how does this all work?
3: You know, Brooklyn has, uh, has, in popular culture, Brooklyn has had a, had a renaissance over the last, you know, 20 years. There's been a massive influx of investment. You know, it's evident everywhere from the shores of Coney Island out to, you know, downtown Brooklyn because, you know, Manhattan is an island and there's only so much, uh, you know, commercial and residential property. It's all emanated out to Brooklyn. So then you had, you know, the rise of Williamsburg really as a epicenter of a lot of the, you know, contemporary culture. And then, you know, just look at the property values. You know, it has a great uh, infrastructure. Uh, you know, the commuters may argue with that, but still, it's easier to get around in new- in New York City, uh, including the five boroughs in Brooklyn, than it is in other places. And it's just the center. It, it for me, it's always been the center of the universe. But now, it really has drawn a lot of uh, commercial, cultural interest, tons of investment. We have new sports teams, new business corridors. You know. I mean, you just go down to Flatbush Avenue and see all, all the building they're doing down there. Just look at what they're doing out in uh, uh, on the West End or all along Coney Island. You know, the Brooklyn waterfront is phenomenal. I mean, they're just... Well, just look at all the cranes that are out there.
2: Having said all that,
3: where's the crime now? Where's the crime now? Uh, I don't... I, I wouldn't pick out one particular neighborhood. Uh, I I still think there is, uh, you know, some low-level crime uh, throughout Brooklyn. But, again, you know, the premise of my book is not, you know, crime in 2017 in Brooklyn. It's, you know, it's more of a retrospective look going back hundreds
1: of years.
2: Uh, I I agree. And and that great, great interest. But what, you know, did it stop? That's the whole thing. I mean, you cover it uh, needle and thread. It's all there.
3: Oh no, definitely not. You can pick up any uh, any periodical, and you'll see. Everyone they still have a, a a crime blotter. There are different uh, ethnic groups now. Some of the same, some different. There's a lot of of. And and again, I'm not a crime reporter covering the the, the contemporary, the the modern criminal beat. Uh, so.
4: I understand uh, the millennials are causing lots of trouble. <laughs>
2: get so the there there you go there you go number one on your list number
0: one number one let's talk about number one with a bullet w- with a beat be to it with a bullet
4: uh does uh, Fred G Moret ring a bell Fred
3: G Moret no I'm sorry it doesn't.
4: Uh he was uh, an attorney yeah. yeah the boy Hitler of Flatbush Avenue.
3: Oh okay yes, We're well, stand on yes. the
4: Jewish theme here.
3: I definitely have them in the book.
4: Yeah, I, I, I loved his closing argument. And that would be what? Four little boys off on a spree. One turned state's evidence, and then there were three. <laughs> three little boys, what did one do? The judge said, no proof. And then there were two. Two little boys, in court they must sit and pray to the jury, please, please acquit.
2: And then they were one. And then they were one. Yeah. New.
4: I found, you know, I, a lot of the stuff that you have in the book is just really interesting.
3: <laughs> that is nice. a really fascinating, fascinating case, and just because of the, uh, I mean, when you talk, when you think about notoriety, uh, these were it, it was I think it was it was it was a group of four teenagers in Brooklyn uh, in the early 1950s. South Brooklyn, and they used to go out wilding at night, and, you know, they, they, they killed some homeless folks, you know, uh, and they really brutalized some people. It was awful what they did. You know, when they brought them in, uh, why this case really bubbled up, and, and now it's a case study uh, for, you know, uh, you know, mainstream mania. Uh, Because, you know, they they heard that, you know, these uh, these boys were fans of uh, Night of Horrors, uh, these classic, uh, you know, now the classic, I guess, these, you know, ultraviolet comic books.
1: Uh So,
3: you know, you had some more conservative elements of the culture who argued that, see, see, if we let our kids, you know, read this type of trash, you know, this is what's going to happen. So this effectively put comic books in the 1950s on trial. You know, uh, right, I remember that. Because of this case. And, 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 you know, thank God, freedom of speech, you know, creativity, you know, it did not have an adverse effect. But because of that mania and the hysteria that transcended this case, uh, it really, that's why I felt it, it, it gave a strong uh, case for me including this in the book. And that was, like, one of the real, you know, fascinating
0: That was a very important case and a very important hysteria in American cultural history, and it impacted uh, all sorts of things. It impacted not only the comic book industry, but also the newspaper uh, strip industry. Uh, The Saint comic strip was running in the New York Herald Tribune at the time, and uh, it caused uh, then an an alteration in uh, how they drew uh, the villains and, uh, and, and the content of the, the comic strip uh, affected television, all sorts of things. The same hysteria and stupidity uh, transferred over to the thing of the Three Stooges caused juvenile delinquency. Jeez. If you watch the Three Stooges, everyone's going to poke each other in the they eye know. until we're all blind.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> police,
0: exactly, Mark,
4: Mark, don't do that. I did, don't, don't do Curly. Right, thank you. Okay. Thank you. Do <laughs> shimp. I'm
0: sorry. No one does shimp. <laughs> Maybe Craig. Do you shimp Craig?
1: No. no. Not I'm even sorry. Larry, I'm not even gonna try. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> what an amazing thing. So now that you've done this masterpiece of the compendium of compendium, so to speak, with your own thirty four standards of uh of definition and inclusion, what do you do now? What do you do for a for an encore?
3: I have to tell you, uh you know, I was fortunate enough to hook up with some other writers and creators, including Bill Donnelly and Ron Valdez. And we started a, 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 a group called Brooklyn Creative Partners. And we have a number of really exciting projects that we're working on, some related to this, some to other. You know, the, the great thing about doing what you love is, and, and doing a piece like this, we, I covered so much ground. I have such massive trove of research. And, I, and, and I'm fortunate to have really creative folks in my life and the folks from Wild Blue Blue Press I can't speak more highly of them you know Ashley Butler Michael Cordova Steve Jackson Amanda Ludecki and Ian Dickerson who actually recommended that you know we include a uh, a, a map in here so that's I have sort of a walking tour in here right. you know there's 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 so many different ways to go to go at it but uh again I I I I would think spinning out you know one of these I mean that 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 the 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 just some of the ones that we discussed today, you know, on the, on their own have legs. Now, now, granted, a lot of these have already been covered, but then if you look at my book, I, you know, I took a different angle here, a different spin on it, and there's some unexpected stuff. So, you know, I think you know, following some of these threads that I've started to unravel, uh, and again, I, I love this stuff. So.
2: And brutal, the, the name of the book is. The
0: name of the book is. Craig, give the official title.
3: Oh, of this, Brooklyn's Most Wanted: The Top 100 Criminals, Crooks. And creeps from the county of the Kings
0: Avail- available now
3: <laughs> oh it must be available now okay yes yeah, available now, all major booksellers, uh, bookstores, and from Wild Blue press.
0: I like Wild Blue press. they send me checks
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, and I get a piece of them. <laughs> no you
1: don't no
3: <laughs> I have to tell you I have to find out who did the cover. I really love the cover. you know they they, they produce multiple covers for me we had a lot of fun sharing them out with friends and family everybody could vote on them uh... you know it's just from that to you know the level of quality and how they care about their writers i can't speak more highly for that organization
2: the, the same friends and family that you used in your focus group
6: yes
0: <laughs> <laughs> well actually, see they do, do different focus groups on the uh, uh... on the covers for the book they'll come up with about four or five different covers and then they put it up on social media uh, you know, Facebook, uh, Instagram, Pinterest, you know, all the different ones, say, what say, what's your favorite, and why? You know, which one... Uh, do, do they do
2: that for you? Oh,
0: yeah. Oh, okay, good. I do that with everybody. And yeah, that was a lot of fun. And, uh, and you go through a lot of revisions, you know. Someone points out something like, oh, well, actually, uh, uh, if this story takes place at such and such a time, you can't have that building on the cover because it didn't exist there. So I've yeah. got
2: two guys that have had that happen. Have you been pissed off about the cover that they actually chose, or are you okay with
0: Oh, I'm very happy with my covers, and he's
3: obviously. I was thrilled with my cover. It wasn't the one I voted for, actually. But, uh, but there, I, it was it was one of the top two. So, and 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 honestly, all all five covers that they produced, I would have been happy with all of them. I mean, the level of quality was just outstanding.
0: That's one thing. Uh, one one of many things that I, I like about working with Wild Blue Press is that they, they actually do seem to care about their
2: authors and more than you just know, the content know, of the book. We, why don't we have some editors from Wild Blue on, for, 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 I'm all serious, uh, serious yeah. about that, yeah, let's talk, talk to them. Uh, that, I think that, be uh, uh, very interesting
0: very, on how they, the process that goes, maybe Anthony Flacco's wife will Somebody
2: come like that, <laughs> uh, just so we can find and watch the process of taking a book like uh, like Craig's or like yours and what they do with it once they get a hold well,
4: of it. Well, if it's, if it's Burroughs,
0: they they,
2: they, they rewrite basketball the whole thing. with it in the trash. <laughs> the trash, no,
0: no. It's That's a not true, building. Mark.
2: We have, a, we have a, an award-winning author here.
0: That's right. And if I hadn't won one, I would have given myself one. There That's you correct. go. For promotional purposes only.
2: <laughs> kind of like, and you know, Craig, Trump's but, time cover. By the way, Craig, you do know that we are the number one true crime show
0: in the uh, universe. Yes, I
3: do. I'm a fan. Thank I'm you. I'm a fan, and I really appreciate you having me back. This is the second time I'm on. Yes it is
0: and there will be a third what was oh. remind me what you were what book we were hyping uh, last time you were on?
3: Oh, we had a lot of fun with that. That was uh, beyond the odds, Why March is the unluckiest? Oh month yeah,
0: of why it's the unluckiest month of the year? We <laughs> gave you a raptor crap on that. Was that before my time? <laughs> yeah, no, you were here. I was here.
3: Yeah. yeah, I've been here a long time now. Yeah, you let me have. But it was, you know, just just like today. Very fair, balanced. You know, you know, put look, me through look, my.
2: Look, we, we don't want it to be dry. We like to have a little fun with it. You that. guys do a great job. Speaking of that, by the way, you
3: uh, go back to uh, Waller O'Malley again. How
2: is it that they convinced you? And I'm talking about your family and friends. That, uh, that they were so pissed off that they dragged you over to the Yankees. Give me a break. <laughs> How did that happen?
3: I have to be honest with you. We're a football family.
2: So. Uh, Jets are giants?
3: giants.
4: Giants.
2: I could have told you that from the first time he said hello. Uh,
4: first, well, I, was, I was hoping he was going to say Buffalo. Well, Buffalo, that's me. Yes. And
2: that has nothing to do with the Giants. And
4: too,
3: I'm, I'm a fan over there, too. But, you know, big blue, tried and blue. We're a great season this year.
2: It's a good football team uh, if you like football teams like that. Anyway, <laughs> for people who like that sort of thing, that's
0: just the sort of thing yeah. they like. We're not going to talk about football. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Please don't.
2: Howard uh, did color commentary.
0: Did you really do color commentary?
2: I uh, did 10 years with the Bills. I was, yes. uh, did not do color commentary. I did postgame. Ah. The postgame popular, color commentary. The most popular postgame show in the NFL.
0: Well, how about that? Do you have that's, a little trophy or something I hanging little, on the mantle? a
2: little something on the mantle for that.
0: Ah, oh, that's tugs at the my heartstrings until my ventricles it's collapse. It's easy to
2: do. It's easy to do a post-game show in Buffalo, because when they lose, the people go nuts, and the show's just tremendous. You just sit back, <laughs> and just sit back, and let the people go.
1: And it, it, they scream, they yell, it's, a, it's murder
2: <laughs> the umpire. It was always somebody else's fault. Of it's, course, it's always somebody else's fault. And then uh, fault. they got. Uh, I left, and they got extraordinarily good, and went to four Super Bowls. And I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: hey, Craig, uh, you know Tony Dostofano, at least you know of Tony Dostofano. Uh, yes. Uh, he's going to be on our show next week. And uh, it should be a, an interesting thing, because about uh, a few months ago, we had on uh, Daniel Simone, who uh, did on uh, the Lufthansa heist. And Lufthansa. The, uh, Lufthansa. Uh, Tony Dostofano has a new book on the Lufthansa, where he says he has uncovered new information. Ooh. So... Ooh. Uh, so Daniel Simone will be biting his nails about that. <laughs> if you ever do get to the West Coast, we'd love to
2: have you in oh, the right. That would be fun. And yeah, we will we'll have you back. Thanks a lot, Craig. Thank you. Great. Thank you. You bet. Hey, Burl. Yeah.
0: Uh, what's next? Magic Matt Allen and the Demons of Decadence live at the Lighting Up Lounge at Outlaw Radio. Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone.
2: And good afternoon. It is a uh, lovely Saturday afternoon. We are in the hills somewhere over Los Angeles looking over the way we normally look over. This is True Crime Uncensored. I'm Howard Lapidus. Our uh, our dear friend Burl Bear is... Uh, lost somewhere in sleeping in Seattle or doing what he normally does. But uh, what we'll do is uh, we'll plot on without him because who the heck needs him? I do whatever I can do to make sure that he isn't here. Uh, and so, I, so you check
4: down the size, they can't get in? Yeah,
2: yeah. Mark C.G. Boyer, our fact checker, is with us. Um, I've been looking forward to today's show and, and uh, for a good, for damn good reason. Our guest today has been a friend of mine for... Uh, I, I was listening to myself this morning. It's got to be about three decades. Barry Katz.
1: All right. I made the
2: It's the legendary Barry Katz. Barry Katz, who uh, he and I kind of share our day jobs. Uh, not together, but uh, our day job is that of managing talent and, uh, and producing things. And, um, and I do this, and he does a podcast, and so we have all kinds of different stuff that we do. Uh, but one of the most eclectic people that I've ever known uh, has been responsible for some of the greatest uh, comedic talent. Um, and I'm not even going to start, Barry. I'm not going to mention the names. Why should I? I'll let no, you mention
6: because you No, trying. I'm not going to mention the names either. But I just, I just want you to know, if I could just have a fraction of the success that you have, I would be very happy.
2: And I'll give you that fraction. <laughs> <laughs> and and i'd like and I, and then i would hope for, for that i would find the, uh, the the rest of the success but speaking of of success though that that, that what we do in 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 our jobs is we find different things and different projects and things that we both i think have been lucky enough to uh go after stuff that we kind of want to do as opposed to have to do and when i saw that you made this documentary that we're going to talk about today. Uh, I said, my God, Barry, uh, how interesting is this? And uh, you must have wanted to do it. Uh, You've produced a movie called I Killed JFK, and it's a a one-night appearance in theaters coming up soon. We'll talk about that in a second. But let's talk about Well, first of all, I've always been fascinated with the JFK thing because I grew up and and watched it happen, uh, live and in person with my own two eyes. And and, uh, if you thought 9-11 was something, those of you who weren't around for JFK, the JFK thing was beyond unbelievable. And we all thought and still think, for the most part, Lee Harvey Oswald shot JFK. Barry?
6: (laughs) Yeah, that was an interesting way to go. We all think, and then Barry. (laughs) Um, You know, I just want to share this, as you know, but your audience might not know and understand, is that uh, I'm a comedy guy. I started off as a stand-up comedian. I uh, managed comedy talent. I, uh, you know, enjoy that very much. I produce TVs and films about comedy, I'm not a drama guy. I'm not a, a documentarian, although I did do a few documentaries. I did a Houdini documentary. I did uh Heidi Fleiss documentary. Unfortunately, I didn't get uh, on-the-job experience there. And I also did a documentary that was in theaters called uh, Misery Loves Comedy with Amy Schumer and Tom Hanks and Larry David. But I'm not, this isn't my lane. Right. So I just want to explain to everybody how it happened and then you can understand. So like uh, your host, I was involved in uh, the JFK thing as a child because I would either see my mother crying in the kitchen watching that black and white television on the funeral procession and, and always wondering like what what happened, like what what went down? What's the truth, you know, from a young kid? Um, but I wasn't like that kind of person that we all know that's like, hey, uh, you know, the Russians did it, the Cubans, the CIA, it's the FBI, no, it's the mob, that was the mom. you know, and I wasn't that guy that got up on a soapbox and, and was like, you know, wondering and preaching and, and every day of my life. That wasn't me. I just was always wondering, what's the truth? Because... The thing is, and I'm rambling a little bit, but I think it's important. Everything centers around the most watched short film in the history of the world, so the Sapruder film, uh, which we've all seen hundreds of times. And even in YouTube generation, it's the most watched video ever. And, but back in 63, there wasn't YouTube. It wasn't anything like that.
2: We didn't even have the film, the Zabruder film, until much yeah, later.
6: That's right. So what happens is is that if it were this day and age, what happened would never have happened in terms of how it was presented to the people because it's like we see all the time. You just, you just see what goes on. You know what's happening. The guy, football player, hits the girl in the... Uh, in whatever the cafe was in the bar it's there We know what happened the you know the national football player you know hits his wife or girlfriend in the elevator We know what happened in the Zebruder film it's obvious what happened the president is hit with a bullet that uh, clearly uh, goes at some point through his back or his throat He's reaching for his throat you can see it And then, you know, a few seconds later, you can see that he gets hit again and then gets hit from the side. It's all there on videotape. Everything. Yet there is an educated group of people who uh, were the Warren Commission, who put together a 700-page report that uh, claimed the single-bullet theory, a single-bullet killed the president. Now obviously you look at the videotape and one built bullet didn't kill the president
2: tell us um, tell us this tell us what America thinks if let's say they believe the
6: Warren report
2: let's say it comes out and they say okay we take that for granted so what does America think happened
6: that day well that's a generalization that's yes like it saying, is what, what does America think happened in the election uh, well Trump was elected well, no he wasn't. Hillary was the popular room. You know, it's like everybody has an explanation how everything happened. I don't mean to go on to the political thing, because I'm not a political person. But, you know, there's factual things about Hillary deleting 33,000 emails, the fact. There's factual things about Trump where he said things about women, he mocked people. But every side figures out a way to discard that evidence and think the positive things about what it is. So what the country thinks, what's in textbooks and what's been taught to the American people is that there was one lone shooter, and that was Lee Harvey Oswald. So if you're asking me what the majority of America thinks and believes, that's what they believed. And this uh, documentary is a way to just show the world 20 different experts, historians, people who were there, including people like Lee Harvey Oswald's mistress, uh, lover, and uh, you know, and also many, many different people from the CIA to the journalists who were there. They're all commenting on what happened. And they all have a similar feel about what went down that day. And what, da- what di- went down that day wasn't one guy shooting and one bullet, and that's a that's a fact. You can't change physical evidence. You can't change the videotape. I guess you could, and people say the, the breeder film has been doctored to eliminate one of the bullets. But the bottom line is, is, and it's basic form. And I know I'm rambling here, Howard, but it's very important. Is that People can think what they want. You can think that the Russians did it. You can think the Cubans did it. You can think the Chicago underworld did it. You can think the CIA did it, the FBI, LBJ. Whatever you want to think, I want you to go to this documentary on May 31st, and you're going to come out of there with an opinion about what happened. You're going to draw your conclusion, and I will share this with you. I can guarantee you your conclusion won't be... That one man and one bullet killed the president. It's it's physically impossible. Well, you you, you made you made
2: you, Barry. You made the documentary. Um, did you have a preconceived notion before you went into the documentary, or or did, was it developed throughout the documentary, and then you have come to a conclusion?
6: No, I had no conclusion at all about anything. I went with an open mind. Uh, a man came to my office, somebody recommended I watch some footage of somebody uh, had. I had. I looked at the footage, it was these uh, raw, raw interview found footage clips of people being interviewed um, about the assassination and I was riveted and I was blown away because I'd always wanted to know what the truth was and wanted to hear other people's opinions of what the truth was to them. And, you know, these interviews with the only person, the only living person who's ever admitted to killing JFK, and all these people surrounding the case that were FBI agents, people who were, um, it, it's in CIA, it's uh, national security advisors to the president just incredible things that you heard from people. And these people now are in their, like, 80s. Like, these people don't have—there's no—they don't need to talk about this. They don't need to talk about it to go out—there's no need. What's the, what does it prove? What does it serve?
2: So what are we going to see? Are we going to see— uh, People that can actually say, I did this, or I was part of this, or uh, this was yeah,
6: the... You're, yes, you're going to see. Uh, I I went through two and a half hours of footage of interviews of a man in prison, the only man in history ever to uh, living to admit to killing JFK on the grassy knoll. What I can tell you about him is that he was not scheduled, in his, in his words, he was not scheduled to be a shooter that day, he knew that it was going down, but he was asked to be a backup uh, that day, and he obliged, he was asked where he would be to be a backup in case a headshot was not delivered, and he told them that it would be the Grassy Knoll, that would be the best place to be. Uh, the person asked him why, and he said, "Because I got a perfect shot." And the guy said, "But you only have one shot." He said, "All I need is one shot."
2: So, who who was the who was he working for? Who asked him? Who set him in place?
6: Well, without going into too much detail and spoiling this documentary, we're
2: not going to spoil the documentary. We want to sell the
6: documentary.
1: <laughs> yeah, but that's
6: okay, but, w- but without spoiling it, I will tell you that. This is what you'll find out in the documentary, that there were members of the um, all different factions people feel are responsible that i mentioned today were there that day in Dallas. All different people from all different areas of the world. And the person behind that fence was from one of those camps and there was another person with him that was shooting and took shots and this guy's story is it'll just blow you away and the people around it I'll just give you an I'll give you a quote that somebody said just and I shouldn't do this but based on what you're saying I'll I'll do it I think this is a guy that was a national security advisor to five presidents okay and he said this he said November 22nd 1963 was like a party. It was a celebration in Dallas. People flew in from all over the world to see the president killed, and he was just one of the few people who didn't know what was going to happen.
4: Why? Why did they want him dead?
6: Well, I'll tell you. There were a lot of people who he had enemies with, and I'll just give you an example. Like, for instance, it's well documented that the Eisenhowers were well loved couple people. They were approachable. They were just regular people. But a lot of people felt that the Kennedys were plastic. They were just not, you know, they weren't that kind of people. So they weren't well liked from the beginning. They wanted to change the way government operated. If you, if you remember, if you do your history, if you check check your history, they wanted to restructure the FBI. They wanted to restructure the CIA. They wanted to restructure the Federal Reserve. They wanted to get rid of Hoover and the FBI and change the old school. Okay? In Cuba, the way the Bay of Pigs was handled and the, you know, and the Cuban missile, all the things that happened down there, they were enemies, and he was an enemy of Cuba. Um, the Chicago underworld, Kennedy's father, it's well documented, went to uh, the top people of that organization and said, will you help us get my son elected in Illinois? If you do that, we'll leave you alone. After that, when he got elected, he hired his brother, Robert Kennedy. The first thing Robert Kennedy did, was go after the Chicago Underworld.
2: Why didn't, underworld. The, why didn't the father say something there, Barry? You know, you know well, if, if the father made a promise, and then all of a sudden uh, Jack puts Bobby in charge, and Bobby starts going after Chicago, the old man was still around.
6: I'll tell you uh, why people think that. The father was very, very influential in John Kennedy's life and the campaign, a lot of people don't know this, but John Kennedy hired and made a commitment to his running mate, his vice presidential candidate, and his father...
2: How
5: do we know that? Where is that? How do we know that? was Magic it, Bad Allen, our uh, executive producer. You,
6: you can just look it up.
5: No, yeah, but you can look up a lot of things, like what Nixon said and what he really, what he really said, what Richard Nixon really said. You know, completely different than what the conspiracy theorists say. He said,
6: and I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Yeah, and I didn't I'm, call
5: you. I, I didn't call you one.
6: And I'm just letting you guys. You know, you draw your own conclusions. But what I'm, I'm telling you, you're asking me to document. You're asking me to document everything of why things happen and how they happen from 50. I'm just telling you what over 20 different experts, historians, and people around them said throughout this documentary but don't you find don't,
5: they- don't you find it ironic to, it, 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 conspiracy buffs are always the ones claiming that the evidence against Oswald is all faked or forged but in fact it's the conspiracy evidence in the case that is that is totally laced with fake documents unreliable witnesses and misrepresented stuff.
6: Well, that's, the, that's what happens in a court of law, you know, both sides present their interpretation of the evidence, and both sides always have things that seem right and always have things that seem wrong, and, and you're always going to feel that way whatever side you're on. I mean, if you're like, if you're like, if Trump says, "I'm gonna grab that girl by her pussy," right? Okay, well, people will say, "Well, that's just bathroom talk. That's just locker room talk."
5: Which you is, yes, uh-huh.
6: That's not. That's that doesn't mean anything.
5: Right, because he and, he, and didn't you, know, yeah, he didn't know. Yeah, he didn't know that he was. He didn't know that he was being videotaped or so, on the record. And all of us guys, real guys. You know, unless we're, we're homosexuals, we, we tend to, to have those discussions about women. Yeah,
6: and, and you can sell the country on that, when he mocked the disabled person. Like and he,
5: he didn't, and he, he did not mock, and he did not, mock, he did not well, guess what, uh, he did not, because I did the research on that as well, and it was pretty evident what he was doing, and it had nothing to do with mocking a disabled person, it's a ridiculous fallacy, and of course, you know, we're on two different pages, I stick with the facts.
6: I know, and that's why I'm telling you. Just watch the Zabruder film and tell me if one bullet killed Kennedy. Uh,
5: I have watched it over watch and over it, again. Watch,
6: watch it right now while we're on the air. Tell me if one bullet hit his head.
5: Of course, one bullet killed him.
6: No, that's not what I'm saying.
5: I've wa- i Listen, we've all watched that the Zabruder until, uh, in, you know, ad nauseum. I mean, we've all seen the darn thing.
6: You You're know, not over. Answering it. my question, did one? single shot. Yes,
5: and I answer the question, yes, yes. One
6: single shot. You watch that video and you think you shot one time.
5: Yes, and it and it all happened within eleven to fourteen seconds or less. I mean, it, it's all documented. The shell casings were in the book depository on the sixth floor, right there. Everything. How
4: could there be more than one shell casing if you only fired one
5: shot? He didn't fire more than he fired three he, fired three. Hey shots, on, hey on, hey guys, Mark, guys. he fired three shots, question, the, Mark. Hey guys, Mark. He fired three shots. That's the question. Mark. The question is, did only one bullet kill JFK? And the no, answer that's is not, yes.
1: That's not, that's not,
6: that's that's not the question. That's what you—that's what you asked me. No. The question don't. is: Did one bullet hit the president?
5: Did one bullet kill him? Yes. I don't know that's if more not than what one.
6: That's I'm asking. You're changing my question. Oh. One bullet hit well, the president.
5: Yeah. Okay. All right. Is this a book? Because I hope you do well. It's not a book.
2: It's a—it's a documentary. Which I,
5: I've <laughs> seen. Well, then you will do well because there are a bunch of nuts who still want to believe in different theories other than the—the the realistic uh the truth that happened on the sixth floor of that book depository
6: all right look this is this is great i actually love this so i, you I know, hope I, you do i no i really do because i'm not i'm not i I'm, I'm used to being around comics and we banter all the time and we discuss and rediscuss why people do things and why this so this this is fantastic so i want to keep this going with you if you'll just do it with me in a way that's that's cool. So just let's do this, okay?
5: Okay. Well, here here's where we run into a problem. I don't know what your definition of cool is.
6: Well, just you know, just uh, I'm going to let you talk. You let me talk.
5: How about that? But but isn't isn't that a conversation? I I'm a, a proponent of the concept of conversation.
2: That's what we're going to have here.
6: Fantastic. Great. All right. So so I want to ask you a question because I I want to know if. Uh, what you'll tell your listeners and what you you've heard and what you've read was there ever anyone who saw oswald in the window taking the shot
5: yeah uh i believe so but i don't know i i you know i don't know obviously i don't know this like you do but what i do know is i do know the conspiracy theories uh don't hold any water
2: that's not what we're talking about here
5: this yeah, oh, about oh we're it. not we're not talking about a, a conspiracy theory no no Oh, so what are we talking about? We're talking about... <laughs>
6: Barry, lay it
5: out. Well, that's okay. I, but
1: this, is, this, is, this is really
6: good. So I want to ask you another question. They uh, hired and they brought in the greatest sharpshooters in our country to use that gun in the sixth floor depository and recreated the scene.
5: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you all of know,
6: that. You know how many of them were able to hit the target?
5: No, how many? Yeah, okay. And someone has to win the lottery.
6: Follow That's me. Right. Follow That's me. That's right. Somebody does have to win the
5: someone lottery. Someone has to... Somebody has to win the lottery. And, P.S., he was a sharpshooter, and he was ready for it, and he took the so, one... The first so all the available people, so moment... All
6: the people doing that. So were all the
5: people doing those tests. Yeah, okay. And, and once again, uh, you know, I should have uh, come prepared... Uh, but i've come prepared enough to know that it's a it's a friggin hoax what's a hoax, man? The conspiracy concept when it was a a lone shooter who happened to be a communist by the way and and the left hated that idea.
6: Got it. I want to ask you another question. you mind? No, 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 all right. Uh, You follow a lot of things that happen in the country. How many times does somebody commit a crime and they look at an empty movie theater during the day for a person who no one ever saw as the person who killed a person? How often does that happen when they find somebody two hours later when there's never one witness that saw the person doing the crime an hour later and there are two hours later they're in the... They're in the police department being booked for the murder. How
1: uh, often does that happen?
5: Your, your, your concept of how often does that happen, the question it holds no water. It's a ridiculous question. It is? Yeah, it's completely ridiculous.
6: Okay. Aaron Hernandez committed murder. Uh, it took two years to convict the guy. Okay. And there were witnesses that saw the guy kill the people this guy gets caught in the movie theater during the day he's our guy well how is he or your guy and let's just pretend you're right let's pretend everything you're saying is right because this is important i want to take your side
5: well the the yeah the preponderance of evidence is 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 on my side
6: yeah i want to take your side so let's pretend i'm on your side so then he's in the uh... in the police station He says he has nothing to do with it, which he could be lying, you're right. But then a guy who owns the local titty bar walks into the police station and kills him. Now, you kill somebody, you know. That's a great gig, being the owner of a strip club, don't you think? You get to be around nude people all the time, girls, beautiful girls. It's a great life.
5: That's a that's a matter of perspective. I I love you go into
6: a police station. Being a hold on, I'm answering. You
5: asked me a question. Isn't that a great life? And I'm trying to answer you. And and that's a matter of perspective. Frankly, uh, I being a heterosexual male, I enjoy a lovely nude female body. However. For me, that is not my life. I'm not a titty bar guy. I would never own one. In fact, I, I, I never appear in one.
6: But we're not talking about you. We're talking about him.
5: Yeah, but okay. how... how so, so you've stepped inside his head because I can't do that, and neither can you.
6: You promised me you would let me talk, and I would let you talk. Yeah,
5: Yes, and I'm trying to answer your question. I, I, obviously, we're talking about me. You can't step into the body of this man that shot Lee Harvey Oswald.
6: I tell you what, this is what I will step into, okay? A man who goes into a police station and makes a predetermined decision to kill somebody in a police station where he knows he will go to jail or be uh, set to death for the rest of his life or he'll die in the electric chair. Uh He has a decision. Do I stay and do my job where I'm around nude women every day and I get to be in this life, okay, or doing... do I go into a life where I'm going to be ridiculous. in prison for the rest of my life and die?
5: Yeah, your, your argument holds no wire. It's a ridiculous premise. It, you're using the titty bar as some fantastic life, and because of this fantastic titty bar owner life, that you would never do such a thing. That's a ridiculous argument.
6: It's ridiculous. ridiculous... before we get- so I would I give up my life, I would give up my life and my freedom,
5: to, uh, to kill somebody in a police station you have no argument here it's, it's you're ridiculous you're, you're
6: stuttering a lot here
5: oh so you're calling me out for stuttering excellent that's exactly what I would expect from a conspiracy theorist
4: <laughs>
5: hey Matt, Matt, Matt can I get the show back uh, well, yes, if you promise to make it interesting.
2: Well, it it is going to be interesting, and if you, you, you even knew knew what we were talking about with respect to this film. Uh, Howard,
6: you, is this the co-host that you said wasn't going to be here?
5: No, this is our executive producer. This is the great magic Man. No, no, Burl Bear would be on, on your side.
6: <laughs> How does anybody get a word in edgewise on this show?
5: Go ahead. <laughs>
2: hey, go. He? hey, Matt, come on now. So, Barry, talk to us about the about the film.
6: Uh, and the and,
2: film. and it, because Matt doesn't know about the film, talk talk about the film.
6: So is that I will? But is that what, <laughs> I'm not familiar as much with your show as you are? So is this a normal occurrence where somebody's just talking and somebody who's the executive producer just comes in and starts?
2: It it can happen. Uh, <laughs> it uh, this is the most it's happened, but it can happen.
5: It is irritating to have a feasible rebuttal. I agree.
6: Oh, I, I I do I see me irritated, I'm
5: Yes you do. Yes you do.
6: Wow. Yeah, well wow. Well, uh, yes. I
5: know Barry
2: Barry's having fun with this. But but the, the <laughs> it, it it is fun. And there are what? two there are two sides to this. And there is there's the there's the side that the documentary takes
5: and there's the side that Matt uh, is 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 going with? But don't get me wrong. You, you didn't hear the beginning of the show. I want this to be a huge success. Now that's the honest to god truth. I want you to have the biggest ratings ever, and I, I want you to kick ass with this. Now that's that is the truth.
2: And by the way, uh, Barry, that is how he feels. Yeah. I, I know the guy.
5: Of
6: course. But well, yeah. you know what? I, but I I, I want to share with you this thing that's really interesting about this this subject is that I think you know a lot of people. Uh, believe the way um, Matt does it's Matt right I'm sorry I don't know
5: well, no, it's not a lot of people it's the preponderance of evidence it's only the conspiracy theorists that are questioned because the, the theories don't hold water it, it's the conspiracy bus, the the buffs that are claiming the evidence you know against is faked or forged but it's really the other way around it's I truly the I, other I, way around
6: I guess what I'm just trying to say is that in its most basic sense, forgetting conspiracy, non conspiracy. Right. There's people who feel the way you do, a lot of people feel the way you do. And a lot of people feel differently, but more people feel the way you do.
1: Yes. And I yeah. think
6: one of the and I think one of the reasons why I wanted to do this documentary is that there were a lot of people out there who were Respected people in their fields, people like you. You're respected in your field. You work really hard in your field.
5: No, I don't blame. I I don't blame you whatsoever. You you know, the only the only way to be fair about this is with your. You know, if. If you will indulge me, I, I obviously need to watch what you put together. I'll watch this thing, and then if, if you would have the time to come back on the show, and then we can go over points and so on. Because, you know, I'm arguing something that I, I haven't seen your show. So I need to see the show, and then if you would be so kind to come back on with Howard, you know, that, w- that would be a nice thing. It's the only real feasible
6: way to do it. Whatever you want to do. If you want to kick me off now? No, no, no. no,
2: no. You're, not gonna get, you're not going to get kicked off. No, 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 no. That's no. not going to happen.
6: No,
5: I'm. De- I no, I, Howard. This is. By the way, this this person is a great guest. I'm having a great time. But you you heard what I said. And if he's willing to come back on after the show airs, I would like. You know, I'll take little notes and so on. And that's the time to do it. But uh, Howard, that's back, a, That, back that to, would be a different show. After you fine. and True Crime.
2: Thank you. So Matt's uh, completely full of it. So now, <laughs> Matt's a what? I said you're full of it. Um, no, I, I've I've what? seen I've seen the documentary. I've I've seen it. Uh, I find it extraordinarily interesting. I I'm, Barry, I personally don't know one way or another. Yeah, I mean it, it's 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 incredible that you would uh, have the ability to put together the amount of people uh, that you put together that uh, are quoted in this that have massive uh, credentials that were massively high in the government at the time. Uh, these are not crackpots. It's all—it's legit. Uh, these people um, are legit.
6: I, I think one of the things that, you know, and, and, and all the people who watch this on May 31st, if you go to the theaters and see it, you know, you'll draw your own conclusions and you'll see, but to me, what always affected me, and when I did the research, was how emotional these people were who were of all different walks of life you know they were yes there's probably one person or two people who are suffering from something or who are delusional but 20 different people from different fields the former CIA agents former National Security Advisors people it's pretty hard to think that these people who are so emotional, some of them crying, uh, talking about the subject, who are tough people, who are really like these people, and they and they feel something for this. They want, they just want to know what happened, and they're not convinced like your partner there that it was solely Lee Harvey Oswald. They're just not convinced. They don't. They don't believe what they've heard and the evidence that has come out and they feel something else happened.
2: We'll pick this this up on the other side. We're gonna take a quick break. Barry. Barry Katz produced a movie called I Killed JFK back on the other side on true crime uncensored.
3: cell phone and I know you do because you probably got grinder
5: on there but it's time for you to add another app that app would be for outlaw radio through the courtesy of radioloyalty.com my suggestion is that you upload that app for free mind you yes totally free app
3: in order to be able to listen to us the demons of decadence every Saturday afternoon from
1: 3 to
5: The smoking, drinking, interrupting 24-hour party that you follow now follows you. Your cell phone or Apple device is now the easiest way to stay connected with your friends on Outlaw Radio. You know, the demons of decadence. Change the way you listen to radio seven days a week. Now available free at RadioLoyalty.com. Just punch in Outlaw Radio.
6: Yes, if you own your own cell phone, we know you do. Or you want to be on Flash Friday with uh, me? Well, yeah. well then you better uh, turn your computers. You know what a computer is, right, dear? Yeah, yes, dear. <laughs> yes, you do. Listen to Outlaw Radio every Saturday 3 p. You won't regret it. Love you, ladies.
5: Where do they go for the app? Yeah, how do they find
6: the app? Well, I don't want to mention that because it would take away from my.
5: Potions. Isn't it RadioLoyalty.com? Yeah, can find it, it could
6: be. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, here goes Matt. Bash. free. Going, boy, it is free. It
5: is free. Yes, as long as you flash your movies on Flash Friday. Have another sip of wine, Tom. Bash. Yeah. you just punch in Outlaw Radio when you get to Radio Loyalty. I know. Huh? That's it. Back to True Crime Uncensored with Burl Bear and Howard Lapidus uh, featuring Mark C.G. Boyer.
2: Burl Bear not here. Not here. And for good reason. That's all we would have needed is Burl Bear. We locked him in his house. (laughs) Yeah. Our guest is Barry Katz, uh, a longtime friend of mine, uh, who put together a documentary called um, I Killed JFK, which will be in theaters on the 31st. Is that correct, Barry?
6: Yeah, one night only, May thirty-first, Wednesday.
2: But I have a copy of it in my back pocket, so that's okay. <laughs> I'll make sure. Actually,
6: not- actually, what you don't have is uh, what's going to happen that night, which is, is I think unprecedented. We're going to show the documentary again, um, uh, which is about an hour, and then after that is going to be a live panel discussion that I recorded within the last two weeks with five of the last remaining living experts uh, on the JFK assassination, including, like I said, Lee Harvey Oswald, uh, a lover at the time, and and, uh, and also uh, I have um, Zach Shelton, who was a former CIA agent who was around during that time in 63 and uh, was involved with Hoover. I have, um, you know, I don't want to get into all the experts I have, but uh, you know, it's, it's an incredible uh, group of people that um, I think you're going to find very compelling.
2: So, those that go to the theater will see the documentary and then they'll see the, uh, the, panel, inter, discussion. the panel discussion afterwards.
6: Yeah, see. so each one will be about an hour or about, you know, around that time.
2: And so basically, this is check your local paper and figure out in your neighborhood because we're, we're cross you just country. Go to,
6: all you got to do is go to iKillJFK.com and click on a link and it'll take you to a theater near you. Excellent. Excellent. Cool.
2: So, Before this all started, before the guy walked into your office with the two and a half hours worth of uh, footage, how did you feel about this?
6: Uh, how I felt about it was, like everything else, uh, maybe I'm right or maybe I'm wrong. I've always been the kind of person who questioned whatever a decision was and why a decision was the way it was, and sort of analyze things a little bit more than the next guy. So even, let's say, you know, with your executive producer saying that the evidence is ironclad, even when evidence is ironclad, for something to happen so publicly and so horrifically, I tend to look at things over and over again and and the possibilities of what happened. Is there a one in a million shot that something differently happened? Is there a one in ten shot? Are there people out there who have a different view of the world and what happened? And that's why your show is so great. Your show isn't great because there's only one thought process of what happened and that's it. It's great because there's many different thought processes about what happened and why things happened. And, and that's what I wanted to look at. I just wanted these people to have a platform to tell their stories. And as I say in the beginning of the movie, you know, I, I have no dog in this fight. You draw your own conclusions. But I think once you see the stories about these people, I think you'll think, And question what happened that day and you might come to a different conclusion as a matter of fact I'm almost positive you will
2: what's the most compelling thing you saw in your research that that kind of flipped you into a wanting to go forward with this and 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 B changing your own mind potentially
6: well I think one of the things that happened recently because when you're doing something, when you're doing any project, and Howard, you've produced many television shows and, and films and so have I, and you're working on it, and you're working every day, and you're watching over and over again, you kind of sometimes second-guess yourself. And like, and this is one of the proudest things I've ever worked on in my life, if not the most proud I've ever been of anything I've ever done. And essentially, all I was doing, because I had to go to Amsterdam and get the rights from a guy who had... All these various interviews and documentaries and semi states of being, and cull all this footage like 25 hours of footage and sort of make a found footage documentary of all these different things that nobody had seen. So, for me, like, I even though I'm really proud of it, I was sort of sometimes questioning myself. And then uh, two weeks ago, I did this panel discussion with these five people. And it was bone-crushing, what these people were saying, because it was like, again, these people are not, like, these are, these are well-educated, well-respected people in their field. Uh, and like I said, if you're talking to a national security advisor for five presidents, and he's saying to you, when Trump says he's going to drain the swamp, what do you think is at the bottom of the swamp you know these are things that affect you when it, when it, when that guy said to me um, his name is Gordon Ferry the things that he said to me about how things happened and how the discrepancies there are that you can see in autopsy reports or or the Warren Commission or the fingerprints saying that there was no fingerprints on the gun, Uh, LBJ said that, and then two days later there were fingerprints on the gun. You know, he, he talked about an argument that was so shaking to the core for me. And again, many people might not believe this argument, but what he said was, look, In his opinion, based on everyone he talked to on the inside, because he was a national security advisor, there's only a few different people who have the power to affect changes in documentation and reports. And We all know that the underworld in Chicago couldn't call the Warren Commission and say, do this a certain way. We all know that the Russians and the Cubans couldn't call the Bethesda hospital and say, you know, let's put two guys on the autopsy that hadn't really done anything before. And let's let's change where the bullet hole was supposed to be. And let's say this happened. It's like, it was so shaking and, and to me about what it said about things because, and how There had to be a chain of command of people who had an understanding of what was going to happen. And the other thing that was shocking to me was that Kennedy, uh, and this is factual, you know, again, these people lay out a story, all 20 of them, that's very compelling about more than one person involved. But what's fascinating about it is that when Kennedy was going to the limo, as he always went to the limo, he and he alone had the choice to put the bulletproof bubble on his car or not. And that day, he was asked by his closest uh, uh, person with him that day, "Do you want the bubble on the car?" And he said, "No, I want to be closer to the people. I wanna. I don't want it today." So nice. ultimately. No matter if you believe there was plans, or you believe Oswald was the shooter, whatever you want to believe, the fact is, is that the president had a chance to to change the fate of himself and the country. Of course, but
2: but 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 we, he made a, a flip decision that he wants to be near the people. What did he? What, what what are you saying? He said he wants the 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 dome to be off so he can get killed.
6: You're back.
2: No, it's me. It's
6: Howard. You're you're back. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Um, what is he saying? No,
1: what I'm saying is it's just a fateful decision he made in a split second that affected
6: whether he died that day or he lived.
4: Hey, honey, let's go to the theater tonight. <laughs> you got it. Too soon? Too soon. <laughs>
2: that's, uh, that's Mark Boyer. Mark, uh, Mark, by the way, Barry, you're not signing him. No. Uh,
4: no. Unless he needs some computer work.
2: Yeah, Right. Um, so today... Yeah,
6: so, 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 you, so you asked me about that. So it was these interviews afterwards of these people who have spent their whole lives involved in this. And, and, you know, I guess it affected me more because the found footage that I found with the interviews, it was interviews of things and raw footage and rare footage you know, from years ago. So when you're face-to-face with people today, and they're in their like 70s and 80s, and they're so passionate about it, and again, these people aren't people who went to a community college. These people are successful, well-educated people, and they believe something, and they're passionate about it
2: were were any of them were any of them involved in the investigation back then or they were they post all of this yeah anybody you yes. talked to in that in that panel were they
6: involved yeah. I talked to uh like i said judas Berry baker who uh again i'm saying uh, uh factual because people uh knew of them together. She was uh, Lee Harvey Oswald's lover. I told her. She, I said mistress, and she said no. I wasn't his mistress. A mistress is somebody who takes money. I was his lover. I said, well, I thought when you're having an affair on somebody and they're married, but you, no, nope. say lover. Okay, fine. So uh, she died. was with him. So she was with him during that time and that summer and that fall before the assassination, and. And so she knew him probably better than anybody else. So give me a tidbit.
2: Were, you got a tidbit she told you that uh, that she helps convince you.
6: Well, one of the things she said was they met. To, they met um, uh, when they were um, working on a plot to kill Fidel Castro, and they were trying to uh, work on research of some way to kill him through poisoning and that's what she was working on. That's where she met him. And, but the things she told me about him were just that, you know, that he knew that there was gonna be assassination that day, that he told her that there was gonna be an assassination that day. Again, it's her word. Somebody could say, well, she's lying. And you know, I don't know why she spent the last 50 years with the same story that's up to somebody else to figure out but the fact is she says that he knew what was happening he knew it was going to go down but he wasn't involved in it and he wasn't a part of it how was he uh, but 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 she did say that but she did say that he was involved that day with certain factions and I don't want to spoil it for you but so technically she says he was involved that day and he was in the book depository that day. And he was supposed to be, but he wasn't a shooter. She'd known when he'd done bad things. He told her when he'd done things that he was hired to do by the CIA and the people that he worked for. But this wasn't one of them.
2: So he knew. And so he went to the book. Was he assigned to go to the in in? in the way you see this, was he assigned to go to the book depository and just set up what he set up and not do anything?
6: Every, everybody had an assignment. I don't want to get into it in total, but the guy who confessed to killing the president, um, he or firing the shot that killed the president, he said that he hung out with Oswald. Uh, believe it or not, he said he never had any, never talked at all about Oswald taking a shot or or being involved in being a shooter um, they knew that there was an assassination that was going to happen that day But Oswald wasn't somebody who said that he was involved in that aspect of that
2: you have footage of, of this guy
6: oh yes i do and it's uh... it's incredible give
2: us a taste of that
6: it's just um... again it's a guy in this is the thing that's hard you know because I think your executive producer is valid in, in, in feeling the way he feels and so when you hear one person like himself and he's so passionate about talking about it and and then you hear other people like him who's passionate about it but this film I think is a voice for all these people who are just as passionate as your executive producer on the other side and they don't call themselves conspiracy theorists the guy i went to amsterdam he is a conspiracy theorist he spent his whole life making these things document he's dedicated everything he has to it so
2: you believe you believe everything everything he showed you you believe
6: no i don't believe everything i i i see and hear but i just gave people the opportunity tell their story, and if 20 people's stories intersect information where there's everybody's story, that tends to give you an idea that maybe there's a possibility that something else happened that day, and we're not getting... Is it possible that throughout all our government years, that something went down that wasn't legitimate, that was played to the American public and and put to the American public as fact, and that evidence clearly stated that it was fact. Is it possible that there's something and you know, throughout all the hundreds of years that happened that maybe is different than what we think it is? So, not- I think when you go see this film on May 31st, You'll 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 get a different perspective, and it might open your eyes a little bit. And I, I have a feeling, honestly, it'll change your life forever, regardless of what you think afterwards.
2: So, I, I,
6: I'm, I have a go ahead, about,
2: Mark.
4: Uh, Oswald. Mark Boyer. Go ahead. So they have. So,
6: if he if he going
4: with the premise wasn't one of the shooters, but was uh, hooked in, cl- uh, clued into what's going on, why would they make him a scapegoat? when he knows a lot of information that they don't want out.
1: Well, uh,
6: the reason it was uh, brought to my attention of what happened by a lot of these people, and again, I'm just telling you bits and pieces of what they've said, okay? So you have a guy, they get him in the movie theater, and they say, "All right, let's, let's just, let's forget this, let's just go this side of things. I'm not a murderer. I've never planned out a murder. But if, I'm a, but if I'm an intelligent guy and I'm planning out a murder, I'm not going to. After I kill a person, I'm not going to be. I'm not going to get caught. I'm going to figure out a way. If I'm going to plan out somebody's murder, I'm going to that, figure out a way how I'm going to get away.
4: That's not the question I asked.
6: Okay. Okay. The powers
4: said, that keep okay, we're going with. Premise The powers that be uh, manipulated the situation so that Oswald becomes the scapegoat. But Oswald, according to your information, is one, is keyed in, he's part of this group in some peripheral way and has knowledge. Why would you pick a scapegoat that has knowledge that can incriminate you? That's why they shot him. Well, but they why killed, would you pick they him killed, in the, the first him, they place? They killed him
6: right after. He said he was a patsy. But he why started, would they pick him he, in the first he, he place? He started the talk, and then when he started the talk, they killed him.
4: But uh, it doesn't make any sense to pick him in the first place.
6: It, it doesn't make any sense?
4: It doesn't make any sense to pick him as a scapegoat if he has information that could be detrimental to those running this.
2: Brian yeah, a, Barry. To, to, to truncate Mark's question, if 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 they thought that Oswald had this information that you're saying he had, uh, you know, why would they not rid of him earlier or find a you know just let him go run to a movie theater? I mean, it's crazy. Well, I think it is crazy, and
6: there's a lot of things a lot of things about this that are crazy. I mean, it's very
1: awesome.
6: (laughs) And there's a lot of things about this that, uh, you know, don't make sense. And I think, like I said in this documentary, and that Howard's the only one who saw it, you know, he'll share with you that there's a lot of compelling testimony in here.
2: Tell us, uh, as we're coming right near the end of the show, uh, tell us one more time how people can see this one, where, how, and why.
6: You can go to ikilljfk.com, and on the website, there'll be a little icon to click on. It'll take you to a page. You'll be able to find the movie theater near you, and uh, and you check it out. It's one night only, May 31st, Wednesday. There's the documentary, and then there's a panel discussion with five JFK experts. It'll be a night like you'll never see, and I can guarantee you this. I've worked with Howard, I know Howard, and he knows as a manager how I feel. I'm really proud of this, and I think that you'll find it's really, really extraordinary.
5: And may I just butt in for one moment? Uh, Arguably, our, our greatest president, Abraham Lincoln, never attended college. Well, there
1: you
6: go.
2: Barry, thanks very much. I'm going to have Matt watch this. You'll come back. It'll, it'll be fascinating. Thank all
6: right. you all very much. Thanks
2: very much for being Bye. with us. Let me say this. Barry, thank you very much. Uh, normally what I would say is, Burl, what's next? I'll say, Alan. what's next? Here's what's next. Magic Matt Allen, the demons of decadence and outlaw radio. We will spend the rest of the afternoon with you and enjoy
1: Thank <laughs>